victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Well, with eight, that's right, eight A-League games since we were last on air with this program, it's hard to know where to start in Australian football this week with the box office Jets getting the chocolates away at Amy Park. Melbourne victory losing 2-1 with goals galore between the Central Coast Mariners and MacArthur with... Mark Rudan's Western Sydney Wanderers Revolution off to a bit of a rocky start. I'm joined by Jason and Lockie to go through another big week. We might even shoehorn some National Second Division and NPL Victoria chatted to the end of the program if we can. Good evening to you both. Uh, good evening, Josh. Good evening, Lockie. Good to be here. And, uh, and the other big Australian news was probably Valentine's Day there. Ange and Fozzie kissed and made up as well, which is fantastic that was to watch very... as well. Very wholesome moment. Uh, good to be back. Well, well, you know, hello to you both. Um, I, I've been producing this show for the past few weeks and find myself talking to myself about Australian football anyway, so I figure I may as well come in here and inflict that on you and the listeners. <laughs> yes, we've decided to put uh, Lockie's ramblings once again into a microphone. <laughs> uh, let's start with that Ange thing, actually. He says he's continually scouring the A-League for talent. Hasn't signed anyone, mind, but there's every possibility he might. But also, they've managed to, to mend fences after... Uh, that infamous Foz uh, spat on SBS all those years ago when uh, Andrew's coaching one of the youth national teams. And it got a few more hits when uh, the Celtic fans discovered the the, uh, the angry spat on YouTube and uh, everyone went to have a look at it again. It is worth watching because it is quite mm. quite funny. But, um, yeah, the Mutual Appreciation Society was back on display on that Stan Sport thing and it was just uh, – it's mm. good. They're both doing great things in different fields, um, you know, great Australian football products. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I remember thinking about it a few months ago. Just somehow, you know, as you know, Australian soccer memes often do. The Foz and Ange chat just re-entered my brain, and I was thinking about it. It's like it's so weird to me that they've never met. Or at the time, I was thinking it's so weird to me that they've never mended fences because their interests mm. and their genuine passion for the game to improve. They seem so aligned in terms of what they actually care about that it kind of would be weird for them to be at odds. So it's a, a relief um, to, to see them bury the hatchet, at least publicly, for the rest of us to see. And it was good to see Ange get on the, mm. the front foot and, and praise the work that, that Foz does as well. well I have it on, on reasonable authority that uh, those two actually squashed any remaining beef long ago, but there was still the public perception that course, they yeah. still held grudges for... You know, when an interview goes that south, mm, yeah. uh, you know, everyone... You know, remembers it, and it's uh, on YouTube and for all eternity in in, in infamy. But uh, what did you make of uh, Ange's claim, Lockie, that he stepped away from the national team because he thought winning the Asian Cup would have a, a more resounding impact that uh, than it did, and he didn't really have the answers for Australian football in that moment. Well, I I got to say, in some ways, I can can relate to him and I think a lot of people are when you really care about Australian football when you love this game and you want the absolute best for it and you want to do anything that you can do to succeed uh, when you see things not pan out that way it is very very easy sometimes to find yourself uh, encounter periods of burnout so I'm sure for Ange who um, story up until this point has been totally tied to the Australian game and the influence it's had on him and then the influence he's had on it, um, that that Asian Cup didn't deliver the kind of groundbreaking um, ideological shifts that he was hoping for. Um, Again, like I said, like I've experienced before, I'm sure Josh has been through a period of it, maybe Jason, you've had it yourself. It's very easy to get burnt out sometimes when you care about it as much as you do. And and to be honest with you, um, I hope that that Asian Cup would be, as Ange said in the interview, a watershed moment for the game, that it would make this nation finally believe that we're capable of of being more than a team who is just a bunch of battlers who want to run hard. And they might not technically be the best, but gee, we'll, we'll give it a good crack um, and defend and try and nick something on the counterattack. Um, I've always thought that we've been capable of more of that and, and of more than that. And Ange did too. 
And and frankly, I think that that didn't happen after the Asian Cup, and it's just something that we look back on as, you know, at best, um, you know, isn't that a nice memory, a great thing that we all shared? Uh, and at worst, you know, look at what's happened to the game since. Um, I don't know. I feel like the game is worse for it that Ange's vision wasn't realised. But it's not, you know, it's not out of the equation altogether. We may see Ange mm. come back in a different role in some form in the future, or at least I would hope. It's part of that cultural cringe that we have, though, unfortunately, where we don't want to embrace the quirkiness and embrace all the good things. Mm. Like, you know, um, Luongo was nominated uh, alongside uh, some of those amazing players for the um, Balloon d'Or at, uh, after the Asian Cup, mm. and, and people were laughing at it because he's a guy playing for Swindon Town or wherever he was at the time. And well, like we should embrace the fact that this guy's actually had the Asian Cup of, uh, mm. of, of the tournament of his career to actually, you know, look really good. And then, of course, Ange's first questions, you know, will you resign? You know, opening interviews and stuff. We, if you don't make the World Cup, will you resign? Those kinds of things. Not like, how are we going to make the mm. World Cup? You know, we need to be barracking a little bit more, I think, rather than trying to knock off these tall poppies. But anyway, they kissed and made up. It's fantastic. Ange still doing wonderful things in Scotland, which is great to see. Yeah, well, let's, with that, shift our focus to the local game, which uh, Ange says he's been glued to. We have as well. Uh, And I want to start with Western Sydney Wanderers 1, Melbourne City 3, a double for much maligned uh, winger Matthew Leckie. Jamie McLaren missing from the penalty spot, but a lovely goal from Florent Berengay making the points safe for Melbourne City. And, Lockie, I don't feel as if Western Sydney were even at the races in this one. No, I don't think that... Mark Rodan revolution that many of us, not least Western Sydney Wanderers fans, have hoped for has or is coming about just yet. That defence just still looks very, very soft. I mean, that first goal, the way the ball, uh, I can't remember who delivered it into Leckie, but mm. it was just in the air for eternity that no one, no Western Sydney Wanderers defender was willing to sort of step in it. It kind of feels like... Well, I mean, mo- that's under-12 stuff. Like, Yeah, play, no, play that's the exactly what I was going to say. It feels like in June is where you, you see a ball launched into the air and you're like, just just watching it overhead as it as it flies over the top of your noggin and then you realise you actually have to do something about it. Because it wasn't as if Matthew, like, he rose high into the air to meet it ahead of another player who was contesting. He was allowed to basically let the ball drop all the way down and then execute a diving header, which is pretty low to the ground. It's just blows my mind that no one else was was reaching out to defend that one and to be honest the defending on the corner um where Leckie scored his second wasn't much better the 3-1 scoreline flattered Western Sydney like the penalty that Petrados put away was um questionable I thought anyway mm. as well and Agreed. I reckon the rest of the competition might be scared Leckie's now scoring goals so he's scored three in the last two games you know diving header glancing header he's broken the duck and that's the thing we always talked about you know like he's finishing, especially with the Socceroos, you know, he's almost chance, almost chance, almost chance. He starts putting them away with J-Mac next to him and the boot. Like, their, their chance for back-to-backs looking pretty good. Um, yeah, and, you know, J-Mac missed the penalty, so they won 3-1. It could have been 4-0 a lot higher. So um, I think City are starting to turn it around. I was struck by Rudan's comments. Uh, he said, I've never walked into a job halfway through a season when you have to assess so many things. I've got my own checklist and I've observed a lot and it's a huge job. But the most important thing is that I feel the club wants to be led. They're all buying buying in. People around you know and can sense something is happening and they will only follow you if they believe in it. Um, and I'll skip to this bit. There's no dropping of heads, but it's the reaction that I'm looking for, the mental fortitude and the strength in mentality, even if we do make mistakes. I entered into a club with a lot of people down on confidence and belief, and that's not what I see the Wanderers as being about. So not exactly hugely complimentary of uh, of the task he's been left by uh, Carl Robinson. Sounds like an audition for the job for next year, doesn't it? Mm. It's like I've, I've been thrown into it. I've got this, um, this mobber in disarray and this is what I'm trying to do and you give me a chance and I'll do, it. I'll do a better job next year when I have my own fingerprints on everything in terms of players and coaching and structure. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I wonder with respect to confidence levels how much the fact that this is clearly a deeper issue for the Wanderers as opposed to just a manager. Like, you know... Usually when a new coach comes in, you often get that cliched um, post-manager bounce because, you know, hope springs anew amongst the playing group. Oh, I have this new manager, play a new style, I can Im- impress him and, you know, I'm fired up. But as I said, this is a – the problems that the Wanderers run deeper than who is the head coach. 
um, and who's in the squad. There's a lot more going on, much the same as we've seen in, in victory in previous seasons, that a manager isn't necessarily enough. And, and I wonder to what level are the players in this squad sort of maybe cognizant of that, um, maybe aware of the extent to which this situation is very dire and, you know, their ability to change that just with A, the ca- a new manager and B, the, the, the cattle that's on the park. I don't... I don't think this is an overnight fix for Western Sydney, and I think Melbourne Victory are a very good example of that. And even then, mm. you, know, you could say that they um, still have work to do, and I'm sure we'll be able to talk about that when we get onto them. But yeah, it's interesting to think back on the comments that were made in the media by the likes of Patrick Svansvik, or on social media, I should say, and, and Dean Heffernan, who you know decried the poisonous, toxic culture slammed at the club, it. absolutely and slammed, it, absolutely yeah. slammed. Um, into the likes of, of John Satsimus mm. for uh, the culture they've created. Especially when Western Sydney so well known for, again, in the early days, it's so weird that we always go back to like Western Sydney being a big club, but like they've been in a state mm. of, of disorder for, for quite some time now. Um, the line's sort of blurred, but you know they're known for being a club that feed off the atmosphere of the players, of the fans around them as well. And, there wasn't many to speak of in no, this particular game. And you you can't blame them. They, they've got such a good stadium there. I mean, I think those years in the wilderness where they were playing out of those, um, you know, makeshift home grounds has really taken its toll. We know about, you know, the active support being told, you know, to stop and all the, those issues that we had historically, but we need to bring them all back. Well, I mean, thinking back to the start of our discussion about Ange and burnout with this game that can happen when you care so much about it and repeatedly you feel like things aren't improving as fast as they should or you know, things happen that disappoint you. I mean, are Western Sydney Wanderers diehard fans not a, a case in point? I, I don't forgive them for feeling burnt out given what's happened and not wanting to come back to Bank West. Because what they were promised with this new stadium um, and having to suffer the intervening years, they have, hasn't been delivered upon I think there's co- I think there's COVID rules in terms of you know active support at the moment in Sydney mm. that is a little bit different to what we have mm. here in Melbourne, so that might be making a difference as well. But we, yeah, we want and need them to be successful. Well, big task ahead of Rudan. He's painfully aware of it. Uh, let's talk about Wellington one, Adelaide United one. Uh, this game again, uh, no real atmosphere. We slammed Wellington for. Uh, Closing off their stadium uh, the other week with the uh, the victory game midweek, um, but it doesn't seem to really make a difference whether fans are allowed what, to attend or not. What was the crowd? Do you know what the crowd was for that one? It would have been under a thousand. It looked, know, looked figure, pretty small. Figure to hand, but yeah. it was it was incredibly sparse. Uh, Wellington not able to see this one out. One of the smallest players on the pitch scoring a last minute header, uh, but I was impressed by a couple of performances in this game. I thought Rena Piscopo played really really well. Uh, I'm liking the look of Clayton Lewis. When he's given time on the ball, he's he's got a very nice left foot. You know, I, I thought there were plenty of encouraging signs, and I wasn't necessarily certain that, that Adelaide deserved a point out of this. No, I didn't see too much of the game, to be honest, Josh, but I, I think uh, you're talking about Piscopo and the form that he's in. I guess with Wellington's COVID interruption, interrupted seasons of the last couple of years, it wouldn't be too long before if not an overseas move for Rene Piscopo, the Melbourne clubs come knocking and say, come back and stay, stay in your own home and, uh, and train and, and work properly because um, that's the way it seems to be going. Still can't fault them. They're, they're going they're up against a lot, the Phoenix, you know, away from home and the rest mm. of it. So, you know, a point at home. Um, I guess a bit of a come down too. knocking off victory the week before or a few days before was, um, would have been handy for them too. But uh, yeah, back to earth without our injury time from Bernardo. It's a tough turnaround as well with midweek fixtures and a lot of players not being quite right. Players recovering from COVID, you never know. Uh, but you know, with Piscopo in the form that he's in, Lockie, can you see a move for him eventuating either to another club in the A-League or uh, overseas potentially? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's sort of three main options, isn't there? Is another. I think if I were to rank them, your three options being Europe, somewhere in Asia, staying in Australia, presumably moving to a Melbourne-based club. The A-League, I mean, from the perspective of the player, what he's capable of doing, I think, um, Melbourne clubs are probably bottom of, of the rung 
to be honest. Because he is a Melbourne boy. So that's, that's the only uh, reason I bring that up. He's yeah, Melbourne no, no, no. Boy. I completely yeah. understand yeah. the logic, and I don't doubt that those three clubs would be interested in him. But he is good enough, I think, to 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 have another crack at, at testing himself at a high level. I mean, he's a technically adept player. I could see him going to an Asian league, one that has the promise of Asian Champions League football, and of course better remuneration packages to offer than an A-League club. I could see that being an interesting proposition for him as well, maybe somewhere like Japan. Just just throwing out a, mm. a country that I know that plays football. Um, and, then, and then he could give Europe another go as well. But I, I would say of all of those options, A-League is probably probably bottom of the pile. He, he deserves to, to test himself again. And as uh, history has shown us with other players, um, if it doesn't work out, well, he can come back and sign with one of the Melbourne clubs anyway. Uh, with his tail, albeit slightly between his legs. A-League always a, a safety net. Yeah. But I, I think he should be pushing himself, honestly. I, I think he should be getting into the soccerist picture, and I'm not sure he's going to get the call up if he's playing in the A-League. No, no, I don't I don't want him to stay in the A-League. I'm, I'm with Lockie. I want him to go <laughs> to Asia, so don't get me wrong yeah. in terms of that. Because what we need to see, I mean, we would talk about, you know, A-League being a development league and pushing our players in there. We, we want these guys to have long and successful mm. careers. Um, and this is no slight on, on Nick Fitzgerald. We spoke about him off air. He's he started with Perth Glory. That's his sixth A League club. There's only twelve of them. He's now he's now knocked off half, right? And that's no slight on him because there's one year contracts and all the rest of it. We understand how how it how it operates, but we want yeah we want him to progress. We want him to go overseas and then you know come back when he's still got something to give. You know, like Matthew Leckie's now showing for mm. us. Well, uh, before we go to a break, I want to knock off that other midweek game. Central Coast Mariners 3, MacArthur 3, uh, just a crazy night. Uh, and, you know, it was maybe not the the best six-goal thriller you've ever seen, given there were two penalties and an own goal. But it was all made worth it by that 90th-minute equaliser from Craig Noon. Uh, we've got a City fan in the room, Lockie. Do you miss Craig Noon? Do you miss his influence on, well, on Melbourne City's I, team? It's interesting that you bring this up because we didn't get a chance to talk about about Florent Berenguer. Uh Completely not answering your question by no. bringing up another player. But I, I remember back in the day where they both used to play um, out on the wings, back in the Joyce era for Melbourne City, um, or post the Joyce era even. Um, my dad, who I watched the games with, always Team Noon, and I was always trying to you know convince him that that, that Florent Berenguer is the, the better player. But um, maybe a little bit, if, if Leckie was still... You know, the goals were still dry for him. Maybe I'd miss him a little bit more. I kind of miss the fact that he's, you know, in the position that he's in in terms of as a as a kind of mm. playing more of a wing-back role. I think it's a shame that we can't see him, you know, playing where he's supposed to be playing. Um, do I miss him? No. But is he a great player um, that the league is lucky to have? Is he being slightly misused? Yes. Did I enjoy the goal? Thoroughly. Goal of the season for you so far? It was close. Uh, Tommy Oz was um, was pretty decent too to, yeah. kick, to kick things off for MacArthur as well. Um, just on the Craig Noon stuff, I guess if if he was Australian, be a different situation. You got another left footed forward in, in Leckie taking mm. his spot. So Noon's the kind of guy we want from our imports. You know, decent. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty close. I actually I was just almost um, finishing up. That was the game of the, the week for me, and I was almost done. I thought I, uh, the Mariners have got this one. Um, and then Noons pulled that, uh, you know, that outside of the boot left foot volley, which was just an absolute cracker. So, yes, goal of the season so far. Well, Ante Milicic thought that was all too much fun and, uh, and rained things in <laughs> on the Sunday game. But we'll get to that on the other side of this break here on the Oz Football Hour on FNR. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. Welcome back to the Oz Football Hour here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish, Jason Goldsmith and Lockie Flanagan taking you through to 7pm. Got the midweek and Friday nights out of the way. Let's get into prime time. The Saturday simultaneous kickoffs. Let's start with Melbourne Victory 1, Newcastle Jets 2. The Jets who've really impressed me all season coming to town and spoiling Tony Popovich's parade with a comeback win. Victory down to 10 men early in the second half after Josh Berlante was sent off. 
Goals from Valentino Uel and Becca Mikkel-Tadze from the penalty spot, securing the three points for Newcastle. Uh, but you wouldn't know it if you uh, watched the highlights because Paramount and Keep Up completely missed Valentino Uel's goal. So I think there are a few fans out there still under the impression that this one was a draw, but anyway. It had everything too. It was actually one of the more entertaining games going on uh, for, for the week. Josh Berlante, he was harsh. Both calls, don't you reckon? Mm. Like. Um, the second one was stopping a counter-attack, so I think it's always a yellow card. Maybe the first one was a bit soft. Yeah, but to play the whole second half with 10 men, so they mm. were definitely up against it. So um, a great win for, for Newcastle away from home, but the game sort of had everything, you know. Um, Hamill scoring, VAR, Davidson almost crossing the line with a score. Like it's, uh, It was pretty entertaining all the way through. Um, but yeah, the, the Yule stuff too. So I watched the watched it, the mini match. I tried to watch the mini match and the highlights, and then had to go back to the actual whole game to see uh, the Yule goal again. Not making it easy, are they? I, I I have voiced my complaints about the cutting of A League highlights this season. Their obsession with usually my complaint is that their obsession with keeping these highlight packages to three or th- no more than three and a half minutes means that you sometimes only see the goals and nothing else. And now we've gone from that to sometimes you don't even see all the goals. I, I, honestly, the wonders, wonders really never cease. And it wouldn't be that bad um, if I w- was needing more highlights. Uh, i just go and watch the mini-match. But usually it's not available until sometime after the match has been completed. So please, I'm once again pleading uh, to, to Paramount, please, please, just, just a little bit more care and attention to the highlights because especially for a simultaneous kickoff, not everyone has the time to get across or be across both games unless they have four eyeballs. But um, I thought it was an interesting game. Um, I thought we learnt a lot or maybe more people learnt certain things about victory and and maybe some other A-League teams watching on in this game learnt a lot from what Newcastle did against victory. I, I think... You know, a lot's been made of whether or not the red card was a fair mm. decision, whether or not the penalty was, you know, a just decision. Um, and I think a lot of that um, has distracted from the fact that I think, you know, Victory really struggled with Newcastle. And I think even without those decisions happening, um, Newcastle could well have, have won this game off their own steam because they brought a pretty intense press to to victory um it was their intent going in and i think they really exploited a weakness that that victory have got um in terms of playing the ball out from the back under that sort of heat i thought it was a bit rich to for victory fans and even popovich post-match to blame the red card for the loss Mm. when i thought that was completely missing well under pressure in the first half when they had 11 men they were still hoofing the ball Mm. every time newcastle pressed them and it was all them the first half It was all victory so they only themselves to blame that it was a one nil one nil at half time it should have been a little bit further Mm. yeah but i think victory's foibles also were exposed like you know they created a lot in transition and newcastle often their own worst enemies i've spoken before about how i don't think they have the ball playing center backs to play the way they Mm. do i love that they do but uh, you know, the likes of Elsie and Yerman and Taylor Reagan, not really the guys that you want bringing the ball out from the back under pressure in the way that Arthur Pappas wants them to. So I, I'm curious about those signings, to be to be quite honest. Uh, but for, for victory, every time Newcastle pressed them, I didn't feel as if Berlante or indeed Lee Broxham were moving enough, making enough space to receive the ball. They didn't seem to want to take that risk anyway and play through midfield. And I'm sorry, I'm just not sure if Lee Broxham is a starting caliber central midfielder anymore. He's okay as a defensive fix-it man, but I haven't really been impressed with anything I've seen from him in that role since uh, Rai Marchand was injured. Is this his last year, do you think? Possibly. This might be it because he sniffed a chance at a, at silverware once again with victory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I, it would be a sour note to end on the last two seasons. I, I'm I'm okay with that selection in the in the short term when we're just cramming all these games in and stuff. So we've got to rotate mm. the squad. So yeah. in terms of rotations, that might be that um, he needed to be in there and uh, and starting for them. So I'm not I'm not so much down on him there. Um, yeah, it really was a game of two halves. Um, the other thing we didn't mention as well, Hoffman had a goal almost straight after the the red card, which was disallowed with VAR. So it, the second half became completely Newcastle. It really really dominated the mm. game. Um, they did. They looked they looked really good. Yeah, but I, I thought, I, as Josh was sort of saying, I thought even in the first half, the signs of potential threat for victory were there. 
in the way Newcastle were coming at them and and maybe maybe this is more of a learning for other teams watching on this game because Newcastle are able to bring that press or were able to bring that press and show that they could put a bit of um, put victory under duress, mm. give them a difficult time working it out from the back um, and create chances through doing that, but they haven't necessarily got the solid defence to back that up if victory are able to get through or if there's an individual error. But a team who are capable of bringing uh, a, a pressing from the front style and have a more solid back line, Melbourne City, for example, are a team who mm. could do that if they if they so chose. They certainly have the cattle to do it, um, and they've got the defence to that's a defence that is strong enough to hold fire if that press, um, you know, if a gap is found through it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think a few teams will be looking on at this one and thinking we can we can take a few notes. The move for me for victory in the short term before Marshan is available. I mean, I'll probably stick with Broxham, but is there an opportunity maybe to shift Brimmer a little deeper in the midfield? He's played there before for Popovich at Perth Glory um, and bringing someone like Economides or Cruz when he's fit into that number 10 role. Because it's kind of weird for me to see Economides bench so often. I know he's had injury problems, but he can't get a start in this team at the moment. He's the marquee player. Yeah, and they had and D'Agostino was on the bench again that mm. we talked about as well. So all that that, that attack and that flair is is not not quite there just yet. I'm look, I'm I'm fine with D'Agostino mm. super sub. He's he's had his best minutes mm. coming off and the bench. But for Economides, yeah, it's yeah. it's weird to see him on the pine every week. And he's the guy that we want to be playing the ninety minutes and you mm. know, pushing back into that Socceroos lineup, and then also you know hoping to get a, a move overseas again. So he's not going to do that coming off the bench. I agree completely. So um, he's an interesting one. Maybe he's carrying something. Maybe he, he's, he's – <laughs> we don't know with all the COVID and the long COVID issues as well. Mm. So, you know, let me sort of get February out of the way. We'll be cramming all these sort of catch-up games into the 20-buck the games in, over and done with, and we might get a chance to actually see how it's going to play out for the rest of the season. The other thing is, do we know the status of Marshan? Is he getting ready to return this week? Because, you know – we're questioning whether or not Brimmer should should drop deeper and Economides come in. But, you know, Victory might not have much of a choice if Berlante's suspended and Marchand's also not available. Um, they've got another slot to fill in that double pivot. And who does that is is an open question. So maybe... Well, Marchand had facial surgery on the 28th. So I doubt he's going to be available anytime yeah, so soon. So uh, at, least, at least for this week, they're... they're Going I mean, Broxham is, back. Has, has to be there this week because of the suspension. I uh, yeah. don't really have an option. I mean... But this is what I said in our preview show, if you remember, Lockie. I said if Raimarshan's good, victory will make the finals and have a really good season. Mm. And if he turns out to be a dud, or as it happens, sustaining it? a sickening facial injury, then they might sink like a stone down the table without yeah. his presence. Because he does a lot of things that you don't see in terms of mm. the pressure he applies on the ball, uh, just the simple, uh, I, I guess revolving door of possession when they they can't find an angle. Uh, like he's he's their kind of underrated member of that side that yeah. was key to their, their good run of form earlier in the season. Given given the amount of license or lack thereof he's been given in this season for victory, is it yelling into the void to suggest that Burkhan Kerdar could play in midfield? Is that pointless? <laughs> it seems like he's dropped well down the pecking order. And yeah. I haven't seen anything from him in the FFA Cup to suggest that he'll be... Mm much of an yeah, option agreed. going forward. Agreed. Uh, it's sad because I, I had such high hopes for him, you know, not only as, as an A-League player, but potentially beyond that. And he hasn't seemingly taken the, the opportunities he's been given with both hands. But uh, Melbourne Victory uh, have to pick up the pieces after this one. The other storyline coming out of this and Victory seasons generally is I think a lack of decisiveness and confidence in front of goal for Marco Rojas that I think has been ever-present theme throughout the campaign. And usually against Newcastle, it's by far his most favoured opponent. He always scores mm. against the Jets. And in this game, even with the goal that, that Brimmer scored, it was it was Rojas's poor finish that led to the rebound. into the turf. Yeah. That was an old one. Uh, I remember an away game early in the season against Adelaide. He had a couple of one-on-ones that he didn't put away. For me, he just looks like a player who is really short on confidence in front of goal. And 
Uh, you've seen that, I think, in the FA Cup final. He ran through on goal at an angle and tried to pass instead of, you know, he's doing lots of good things in the build-up, but he just seems really short on end product for me. Well, I, I thought the fact that after he did miss that chance um, and scuffed it in literal and, and a figurative sense, um, the fact that his instant reaction after that goal, um, when you sort of see the Paramount cameras cut to the wide shot as the players are wheeling away, the fact that his first reaction was to kind of throw his head back and and, and get frustrated at himself mm. for missing the chance, despite the fact that you know his intervention had still led to victory taking the lead, was very telling about where maybe his his head is at. That makes sense. That was hundredth hundredth uh, cap too, wasn't it? Uh... For Rojas, for victory, I believe. 100th game for victory. In about three or four stints. Absolutely. But he hasn't been the same player since he came back from overseas. Yeah, I, he really? I, I so, agree. Um, from what we what we remember of Marco Rojas, we, we probably haven't seen this time around. Um, so victory dropped a couple in a row since they, they took out the FFA Cup. They've got the Wanderers tomorrow night, which might be a, a decent uh, platform for them to sort of bounce back and, and rebuild as they, as they go uh into the season because they're not too far away from it. Where are they sitting? About fifth on the ladder at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were a couple of games in hand from a few of them above them too. So it it might actually help playing the Wanderers the way the form that the Wanderers are in at the moment. Yeah. It's uh, not exactly a gimme, but uh, they're not in great shape. Not saying that, but it's probably one of the better teams you'd want to actually play at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, you want the Wanderers at the moment. Another team really short on confidence. Uh, With that, let's move on to Sydney 1, Western United 1. Uh, this was notable for me, seeing Max Burgess and Milos Ninkovic start in the same game and not a development I saw coming to play a creative player like Burgess who doesn't necessarily offer that much defensively in the double pivot in the full 4 2 I was, I was honestly stunned to see him start in a deeper role and I thought he played really well in this game and uh, Sydney were unlucky not to come away with three points. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because I kind of I should be happy that they're playing together or that they've gotten the chance to play together. But if anything, I'm almost more frustrated than I was when they weren't playing together because now, you know, we we have spoken about this on this program and and behind closed doors before Josh about how it doesn't make any sense that they're sharing the load of creative um, you know, burden in this team by swapping with each other off on and off the bench. Um, when it's so clear that Sydney could be far more potent and you know, much more of an attacking threat if these two were allowed to sort of knock their heads together. Um, and so we've seen that. We've been saying it all season that if you give them the chance, um, they will. They are capable of doing some great things in an attacking sense. And that it's taken, it, taken this long to happen, and not just this long to happen, but... Arguably, it's happened as a consequence of other players being unavailable, which means we may not see it again after this point. Um, I kind of feel like I've won, but at what cost, you know? <laughs> We're right. You're right. We talked about there this the Sydney like to replace the like-for-like player mm. off the bench, and they've got so much artillery to, to actually do that. But Max Burgess scored the equalising goal, and who set him up? Exactly. Nik- Ninkovic, exactly. right? So that's... They should take some lessons from that. I mean, it was really wet, but you want those kind of skillful, creative types playing in those kind of conditions as well. Uh, the other one for mine was um, they left Redmayne on the bench and mm. uh, and started Hewitt Bell in uh, as the mm. goalkeeper, which was an interesting move, which we discussed last week as well, saying that we, you know, the form that he's in, he warrants a starting spot. But you've I think to... I think Steve Corrick has been listening to the show, Jason. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we were calling for Hewitt Bell to continue in goals. I think I was calling for Max Burgess to start with Ninkovic, and he's done both in one week. There you go. There you go. Must have had a few repeat listings. Finally, the message sunk in. (laughs) Uh, The other thing for Sydney is that they've added to their attacking stocks with a pretty uh, eye-catching signing of Luciano Narsing, the former PSV, Feyenoord and Swansea City winger, uh, who I don't think will complement necessarily the creative burden that they've been lacking, but he's a goal scorer for sure. He's he's someone who's going to get in the box and uh, he's got bags of pace. I don't know, from a pure CV perspective, and you never know with these foreign signings, he's only 31. Looks like a decent decent pickup for Sydney. Going to be honest, um, 
most of my knowledge, or I, or rather, what I'll say is, I was first drawn to Luciano Nicing as a player uh, through FIFA, uh, <laughs> a game in which he had, out of a possible score of uh, 100 or 99, uh, 93 pace uh, back in back in my FIFA playing heyday. Um, but yeah, his his goal record is solid, and I just think that the the speed that he does have at his disposal um, is going to be invaluable in the way that it will uh, complement what Sydney mm. like to do. Does that, does that mean that Corica just trades him off the bench with um, Bahaja? Well, in the like for like states that we this, talked about, this right? is the other. This is, is the he other quicker th- than Usain Bolt as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> quite possibly um, over twenty meters. Yeah, <laughs> um, the, the, this is the other thing is that like their alternative in terms of a forward line option who can use their pace to provide real threat in transition and, and break clear of um, covering defenders is Trent Bahaja. And I think uh, it's a bit of an upgrade. <laughs> uh, a bit of an upgrade. So, yeah, I really think, like, if your alternative is Bahaja, yeah, Dutch winger who's played in Europe who can uh, do a job still at a good age, still got his speed. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good decision. I mean, Sydney have been the sleeping giants all season with the players that they've been mm. missing uh, with Lafondre out for so mm-hmm. long, he came back in this game uh, and played pretty well. Good, I yeah. thought he it has an innate ability to win the ball off defenders without giving away free kicks. Uh, he just has such good balance that players sort of bounce off him when they're going for these fifty-fifty challenges. Obviously, he's got immense finishing ability and he gets into great positions and he's pretty quick as well. But that that's one attribute that stands out to me, and particularly one passage of play in this game where. You know, one of the Western United players just was sent flying by essentially his low centre of gravity and he crossed it in and Sydney nearly scored. You call them a sleeping giant too. They're they're actually third, aren't they? Third on the ladder. So Mm. they're they're there within striking distance of everything. Um, Yeah, and we've talked about their depth. They do have a a, um, championship winning squad at at their fingertips. You know, if they put it together, that'll happen. They're another one that's um, crying out for their own home stadium to come back to. I mean, they're going to be quite formidable when they get mm. all the um, the cove back together and, yeah. and the fans at a at a proper stadium. They'll be very very hard to beat. Then, yeah. looking forward to seeing how Narsing and um, Lafondre can potentially work together with one another. But yeah, I, I really have a you know thing for a striker who knows how to use their body to their advantage. Um, and and the fact that someone like Lafondre can do that, who's well, let's be honest, is not a tall dude, kind of messes with your conception of, of what a, a striker is capable of doing. Because I feel like we sort of break off into there being two types of strikers. There's either the tall, big guy who, you know, beanpole, about veg horse type who can just use his head and get on the end of crosses and they'll be the sort of player doing the argy-bargy. And then the small striker who must be technical, must be fast. But So it's, it's Crouch and Defoe, he, essentially. Yeah, the but he, he breaks your conception of the, the sort of lazy conception of what kind of strikers exist? I mm. like the fact that he can he can do a bit of everything. He's all hips. He's just yeah. I mean, it is. It's that that balance that he's not going to fall over at all and be knocked off the ball. It's it's hard to work out what is the best. You talked about you guys want want Burgess and Ninkovic playing together, and, and I do too. You want to see that creative stuff in there. But what is their best attacking formation, and, and who who sits on the bench, and, and all the rest of it? They do have quite the arsenal. They, I mean, you know, Bobo's not going to really spend much time in the in the finals you wouldn't have thought because for me he's the one that stays on the bench and just comes on and, and pinch hits for the last sort of 20 minutes. I think that's the role for Bobo at this point to be honest. I don't have How old is he now? Is he what 37? Yeah, I think yeah. this might be the last go round for him and Ninkovic. Mm. So it might might be the last run and potentially I'm not sure how this Narsing contract is structured but he might take over the the marquee spot from Ninkovic when he retires next season. It'd be close, yeah. So, uh, for Western United, though, a point on the road uh, against star-studded opposition. I think they'll take that every day of the week. The only shocking thing is that, uh, you know, Sydney FC managed to actually score against this Western United backline that's been virtually impenetrable with this string of 1-0 wins they've pulled off. Uh, you almost expect them to, to take out the three points as soon as they go ahead in a game. You just mm. don't expect them to concede. And then they're still on top of the ladder, and, and again they've got the Wanderers in the in the next uh, in the next week or so as well, with all the ga- the games crammed in. Mm. So, um, yeah, good luck to them. They're doing everything right at the moment. Can't do much. Can't do much else really. I love how other than talking about the game they played against City, which they lost three one, the only times that the Wanderers have come up is as the get right game for <laughs> another club. <laughs> 
we haven't talked about Perth. And Perth no, ones, it's great. Would, would be one that's in the similar boat. That's a great yeah. point. All right. Well, let's move on to the Sunday fixtures. Central Coast Mariners won, Perth Glory won. Speaking of matches that we thought the Mariners might close out before collapsing at the last, having twice in one week. Yeah, they've missed out on, they've, they've lost a lot of points, haven't they? So the Noons, Noons Cracker and then um, Daniel Steins in uh, yeah. injury time for the Glory on Sunday, yeah. Well, I'm sure you were cheering on Jason Cummings. I was. <laughs> I was. I mean, it was just um, just before he's being benched. So he's st- we're still only getting about an hour out of him, about 60 minutes too. So just before he's going to come off. And, um, yeah, Urenia's pass was fantastic and he chested it down and uh, scored with his right foot. So that's two goals in three games for uh, our man Jason Cummings. So um, he's, had it, he's had the start that they want for him. He keeps scoring. But, you know, once he gets some fitness up and used to playing in the summer, I'm sure that's going to be hopefully a bigger output for him. Mm. Lockie, uh, what did you make of Central Coast's attempts to close this game out? Do you think they did enough? I thought they were tremendously unlucky, to be honest. Yeah, I, I it was funny. I, I think I drew a lot of parallels from this game to the Wellington-Adelaide game in the sense that both Central Coast and Wellington, I think, were the better of the sides on the day and had only themselves to blame for not um, making that count on the scoreboard and, and, and wasting chances that they did did create. Yeah, I agree, Josh. Um, Central Coast were were desperately unlucky. And honestly, I think uh, the quality of the goal that they scored, the pass from Urania, the finish from Cummings, could, could we maybe retrospectively say that, you know, some goals are worth more than others? And that one was so good that, you know, maybe it was worth maybe one and a half. Just edging them the three points. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think huge shame for Central Coast because I think you know, I'm not, they're still well and truly in the hunt for a final spot and I, I fancy them to get there. But, um, you know, these are the kind of games that if you do miss out by you know, a few points here and there, it's the kind of game where you'll look back on and think, yeah, we could have. We could have done better there. Like this, this is the the difference. Agreed, completely. Lucky. That's four points that's gone gone missing, just in just by not being able to hold out and close up the last few minutes. For Perth, you got to applaud the fact that they're getting any results at all, given how disrupted their season has been. Not being able to play home games. That's going to continue. Three men's home games taken to Tasmania for Perth Glory. I mean, this whole Tony Sage bleeding cash, Daniel Sturridge getting injured, never playing. Uh, COVID situation, not allowed back into Western Australia. It couldn't really be going much worse for Perth Glory, could it? Where did it all go wrong? Like, you look at the start, their first home game, with you know, massive crowds. Sturridge did, like, thousands of selfies, and, you know, everyone was there, and, and Glory were on a roll, and it's just been very, very unkind to them. Tasmania must be, you know, financially beneficial for them to play their home games there. We'll see how it all pans out. It's not going to be, like, a, a home fortress for them, that's for sure. It'll be a neutral venue all the way through. So I can't see them improving so much in terms of on the, on the field. Mm. We'll see, but you've got to feel for them. But anyway, the talk, there's talk that this month they'll say when the border's coming down. I know um, other codes are now getting into WA and able to play some games. So let's fingers crossed that the glory can get home soon and, and sort of resurrect. Because if you think about the signing of Star Edge and that big crowd in round one, we are miles away from there, aren't we? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like they, they couldn't be playing... I don't know, Australia is a big country. And yet still they could not, basically could not be playing further away in Australia from where they are actually based. It's 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 mind-blowing. It, it really is. So um, Sturridge's home game, if he gets to play in Tasmania too, he would have played at Redcliffe, then he would play in Launceston. Like, Daniel <laughs> Sturridge has been to more places in Australia than most people who have lived most their whole Aussies, life yeah. in Perth have been in the past year. It's it's unbelievable. And um, we, know, we know he loves long plane journeys as well, so I'm sure he really enjoyed that yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Jason, you're right in the sense that it's going to be fantastic to see them finally, if it does happen, you know, I don't think Touchwood really does it justice. I think you have to find a more rarer substance um, to to really wish upon if you're a Perth fan. But it will be great if they do finally get back. But my only problem is, by that point, the you know, this season might not have too much um, hope and ambition for Perth. There might not be much to play no, for. I mean, they right. could make a barnstorming run in the in the back end of the season. I mean, you know, they've played so few games that really they could still propel mm. themselves up the table. There's a lot of chance to, to, to change. But maybe by the time they get to that point, 
there there might not be as much incentive beyond the Sturridge factor for fans to turn up. So we might lose a, a, a bit of those numbers that we did have when there was um, fresh expectations at the start of the season. So I, I hope that it doesn't have that double whammy effect and we can just go back to WA, Sturridge is there, home games at HBF and just have exactly the same crowd, irrespective of whether the performances are good or not. Four games in they're four games behind some of the other mm. other clubs at the moment, so they do have those chance, you know, to get those points back. But you're well, right, they... yeah. The the, the non pessimist view is that they could, you know, once they end up going back home, end up having a barnstorming run to the finals and, mm. and shock everyone. But that's just not where my head head is at. Well, at this point, they don't so much need a sugar hit as an IV drip. <laughs> uh, and and Tony Sage says he's losing money every time somebody asks him. You know, he's running out of time. Uh, they, they need some kind of alternative revenue stream. So uh, might I suggest to Mr. Sage, cryptocurrency is... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, anyone? And, and Utility the, for the storage. That's it. And the, the old adage of, you know, win at home and draw away. Um, so their best best result being on the East Coast base here is going to get a point from each game is not going to see them anywhere near the finals, unfortunately. Well, not, not if they can't play any home games. No, that's either. right. Uh, but uh, more football coming to Tasmania. So uh, silver linings. Woohoo. You beauty. That's all I'll say on that. Uh, let's talk about Brisbane 3, MacArthur 1. Uh, this game saw uh, Mr. Milicic put the handbrake well and truly back on the MacArthur Bulls. I found it pretty hard to watch when they had the ball. Four centre-backs starting in the back line, sort of Tony Pulis areas. How is it that a team with Danny De Silva and Ulysses Davila is so boring to watch? Because they're not given the scope to 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 play to their strengths, Josh. The, you know the the three. Well, what's the point of signing them then? It's it's a great question. It's not a question that you need to ask me. It's a question that needs to be put to Ante Milicic. Because yeah, if you're having players who bring in players whose key strengths are what they can do in motion with the ball at feet, and you enact a this is not a literal thing. I'm you know but a five-step rule whenever <laughs> whenever you have the ball, um, you're never going to be able to maximise the the talents that you have on display. Um, Ante Milicic coaches like he's coaching netball. Like the players yeah. aren't allowed to move once they get it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy it's, to me. It's really, it's really unbelievable. And, you know, if your defence is rock solid, um, you can get away with that as we saw them start the season you know, quite well and... But six goals they've conceded in, you know, penalties, quite a few penalties in the Central Coast game, mind you. But they've conceded six in the past two games. So if they're not playing super impressive on the attacking front and that defence is starting to evade them, then teams are going to cause them problems. And if you're 1-0 down after one minute, you need to have some form of plan B, right? Yeah. Um, what you talk about with Danny De Silva too, I think that was probably best summed up with the final goal of the game when he was dispossessed. Uh, right in the back of the goal line there, he had about three or four opponents on him and no one there to help him. And he had to try and create his way, you know, yeah, get the, out of that. Double and, blind turn in yeah. the penalty box. Well, that's right. But, I mean, there was no one, there, no one there to help him. Yeah, and, and Henry Horse scored the, the third goal for them or, mm. or off his waist or chest or however he, he got it in there. But, um, yeah, I agree. You look at that, You look at their lineup and some of their signings. They've got Gianu now just um, just signed as well for them, but they're not they're not utilising it, correct? Well, club with plenty of resources, but I'm not sure where the crowds are going to come from. I'm not sure where the excitement's going to come from. And that expansion decision to me is looking like a bit of a mistake at this point for the A-League. Yes, you know, we are living in unprecedented times, so it's it's hard to, you know, give a hard, fast ruling on it. But let's talk about Brisbane. Um, and I'll ask the man in the uh, bright orange T-shirt <laughs> first. Uh just how much of a turning point is this in their season? Because I thought they were magnificent value for this for this win. Well, they definitely needed the win um, from where they're placed and the rest of it. They've been quite up and down as well. Um, COVID ravaged pretty 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 hard a, a few months back. So uh, I like what they're doing with their their team. We talked. Um, they've just signed uh, Connor Chapman as well. So I mean, they've been focusing a lot on on younger players. Now they've got an experienced defender coming into the team as well, which can you can't. Um, which will help him. He's a, he's a very good A-League player and he's proven that before. So these starting's had a little bit of squad depth as well. So again, can they bounce back and sort of push up the ladder? Mm. Let's hope so. Well, often I like to look at and point out certain teams that are 
over-performing expected goals over the course of the season to, to show teams who might regress to the mean. Uh, I'll put a question to the two of you. What's the opposite of regressing to the mean? Ascending. Asc- <laughs> aggressing to the mean? I'm not, yeah, ascending not sure. to the mean? Um, but that's what Brisbane are doing. Uh, are I they- think it's regressing to the mean no matter which direction it comes from, actually. Oh, because I thought re- regress seems like it'd be a down thing, but I don't know, Jason. I, I can't answer that. I'm, I'm looking oh. to you guys. Maybe we need to ask yeah. Fiona Warts, the uh, honors level mathematician working yeah. at the Macca's drive-through. That's right. She would. She would definitely know. But um, Brisbane seem to be, you know, I, I think for a long part of the season, and, and they have had some bad games, but um, they've always been flashes that they're capable of of more than they've been getting for me. And you know, I do say that through the lens of being an early-stage raw coin investor. But it seems like I'm, I'm starting to recoup my losses uh, because the crucial thing, despite all their promising performances, uh, their lack of goals does finally seem to be, to be ironing out and they're putting balls in the back of the net. And it's no less than they deserve and no less than they deserved in this game. I thought they looked very sharp. Um Obviously, the last goal was a, a massive scrapper, but the first goal, wow, that was a, an awesome move. Mm. Um, even if they did catch MacArthur napping, it was a great move. And I think Connor Chapman is a perfect player to bring into this system, which is very keen on moving the ball around, you know, um, passing, but, you know, passing and carrying, um, <laughs> not simple pass only like MacArthur. I didn't want to make that. I want to make that distinction quite clear. There's a very different footballing sides. Um, but, you know, a ball-playing centre-back like Connor Chapman, who I really rate as a player, I think is going to really slot in well to this Brisbane side. And, and I hope the regression, aggression, ascension, whatever you want to call it, uh, continues in, in fine, po- fine pace. Uh, Connor Chapman, I uh, just hope that he plays at centre-half and not in central midfield because I think Akbari playing... As one of the two deepest midfielders has been a key factor as to why they've turned it around recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they need him involved in the build-up. They need to get him the ball in deeper positions because he, he is a creative player. And when he's sort of feeding off scraps off the front line, I don't think you get the best out of him. It's it's a, been a, a juggling uh, act to try and get the best out of Steinman, Akbari, O'Shea, who we all know are, are all really good midfield players, but how do they fit together? And I think this combination is the closest Warren Moon has come to something that complements all of their, their strengths. Yeah. Maybe less so O'Shea, but whoever plays at the 10 seems to underperform. It's, mm. it's a bit strange. But even in saying that, I mean, O'Shea was, was crucial to, to scoring that first goal that was mm. so pretty, you know, his pass in behind. Um, for Miliosnich was, was awesome and he was involved earlier in it as well. Um, you know, if it, if it takes a bit of the shine and the burden off him playing further forward in that 10 position, um, if it's to the, you know, his personal detriment, but to the benefit of the collective... Good thing. Thumbs up from Loggy. Exposing my communist <laughs> sympathies there. <laughs> well, uh, Where's Ben Halloran? I, I wanted to bring up, before we, we wrap this up, uh, the story about Connor Chapman's time in Korea, who uh, he was at Incheon, then he was, at, he was at Pohang Steelers. He had to come back to Australia, if you remember, quite abruptly, and he signed for Western United back in 2019. Uh, and I'm not sure whether this was just a tactic to try and get him to tear up his contract, but his club, Pohang... Uh, had diagnosed him with brain worms. So he, they claimed he'd been infected with a brain parasite um, due to his struggles with fitness and energy levels, uh, a diagnosis he continues to label as crazy. Uh, but once he came back to Australia and was uh, given maybe un- more unbiased medical care, it was found to be a simple stomach parasite and no Connor Chapman did not have brain worms. And it's a very different to- place for the worm to be than the brain. It's an interesting way to get out of a contract too. Maybe it was the gut diag- brain. Maybe diagnosed. there's a, something lost in translation. Maybe the- It's a good diagnosis, isn't it, to get out of a contract? Because <laughs> how, do, how do you prove it? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, how do you disprove yeah, it is, right. is, the, is the operative thing. Uh, let's take a really quick break. And uh, on the other side, I think me and Lockie are going to give a lightning fast oh, NPL Victoria preview for this weekend. It all kicks off on Thursday night. So stay tuned. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. Come on here. 
For the final time here tonight on the Oz Football Hour, it's a big welcome back. Uh, Josh Parrish, Jason Goldsmith and Lockie Flanagan with you. And before we go, Lockie, I did want to give a quick little preview of the opening round in MPL Victoria. I think it's a particularly exciting season because potentially the crowds and the results and so forth will have bearing on the final decision on who makes the cut for the National Second Division allegedly starting in 2023, lest we kick the can down the road again. So, Josh, directly or indirectly, you mean to tell me that the 2022 season will have bearing on not only the season that preceded it, uh, but the season after it as well? Yes, uh, as is often the case. season extravaganza. You literally could not get this anywhere else. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, let's start with South Melbourne versus Heidelberg on Thursday night. I believe, Jason, you'll be there. I am going down with with Lucas Gillard, my uh, co-author of my book, to have a a look at the Greek derby. So, Mm. yes, that will be very interesting for me. Lockie, South Melbourne and Melbourne Knights seem to be in a bit of an arms race with recruitment. Uh, What takes your fancy this weekend in the fixtures and and who do you think are are the contenders this year? It's so hard to tell every year with MPL given all the player movements, but are there any early predictions from you? Look, I still still think Avondale are a cut above the rest Mm. um, because they already had a super, super strong squad to begin with compared to some of the others who have been, as you said, in an arms race to get their hands on the best talents in the NPL from around Australia. So not only did they already have a strong squad, but they've got a relatively stable squad. They haven't brought too many in. To my knowledge, not too many have left. Um, for South, maybe for Knights as well, It's they've brought great players in but it's going to take time potentially to figure out how, how all of those players mesh together. So I still see Avondale as being the front runners, but I have no doubt that Knights, uh, Bentley as well, will push them hard. South Melbourne, I think they are, for so many reasons, the team to watch this year because there's so much, um, so much heat on them mm. and so many questions around them because... The recruitment that they've done in the off-season is unquestionably amazing. They've brought in so many good players um, from the NPL Vic, former you know, A-League level players as well. It's a great squad across the park. They've sort of complemented their solid defense with good signings in midfield and attack. Um, I think one to watch out for will be uh, Max Mikola, who's come from NPL Queensland and has been scoring goals fairly regularly Um in preseason, where South Melbourne have been scoring goals for fun and demolishing most of the teams that they have played in preseason. I mean, they beat Dandenong Thunder 4 0 um, not that long ago in a friendly match, and I know those only mean so much. But the question for me is still on the coach. Mm. We've had a lot of concern about the quality of Esteban Quintas before, the f- style of football that he's played. We've always thought of it as a little bit reductive and South started the season well, but, you know, fell off as as things progressed. And I think a lot of that was down to the football that was being played. Um, and maybe he would look at it as we don't have the, the cattle to necessarily get everything that I want out of the team. He doesn't have that excuse to hide behind anymore. There are no excuses for Esteban Quintas. And this is the season where we're going to find out once and for all whether he is bona fide, you know, whether he lives up to his mm. um, illustrious Continental Pro license or whether he is, um, as we have suspected in the past, a fraudster. So south of the <laughs> south of the key, because their squad is incredible, um, the coaching needs to match that. And if it doesn't, with, as we said, the future in mind, um, that needs to change. Well, you'll be able to hear Lockie on the call on Friday night for the Croatian derby between Danny Young City and Melbourne Knights. Melbourne Knights recruitment this season... Like I'm, I'm really excited again, about that. Again, it's been again one eye on 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 2023. I think, uh, especially the foreign signing of Luka Celic, who's come straight from the high nl from the Croatian first division. That's, it's crazy, Chibinek, which it's is crazy. a massive signing for an MPL side. Biggest rises this season for me, aside from those those big clubs, Green Gully and Dandenong Thunder, two clubs who've recruited really aggressively in the off season. There's a new coach at Thunder, David Chick, who was at Pasco Vale last season. I think he's, he's a really bright, young Big coaching prospect. Great guy, great coach as well. And they've also got 
the uh, the Bricky who was playing MPL for four in yep. uh, in New South Wales and uh, ended up getting a trial at Newcastle United because he was mates with Alan St Maximan. He's in Melbourne now playing for Danny Thunder. So I'm excited to find out on Saturday night if he is indeed any good as uh, Danny Thunder take on Eastern Lions. But that's all we've got time for tonight. More MPL Victoria content coming up from us throughout the rest of the season. Stay tuned for announcements on that front. Uh, But in the meantime, from myself, from Jason Goldsmith and from Lockie Flanagan, it is goodbye for now.